Welcome to Brand Appeal, where we talk about brand storytelling in the digital age. I'm your host, Shannon Peel, and today I talked with Robert Kennedy about how he helps leaders understand how to get their messages to hit home by using story. You know, story is an important part of communication to help employees to engage, customers to act, and leaders to connect with those who may lead. So join me as I learn about how important storytelling is in the Oh my gosh, why are you starting with the hard questions? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well listen, I want to be known as the person who helped people find their voice. That's ultimately why I do what I do. And when I'm no longer around and people talk about me, I want them to say, yeah, he helped me to gain the courage to speak. He helped me to gain the courage to share my story unabashedly and unashamedly in, in a world that is filled with noise. That is true. That is true. That is true. Why do you think people are scared to share their story in this world? Well, we're human beings and we are, we're, we're scared of pain. So we're born and we've got to learn to be humans. As we're learning to be humans, the other humans that are in charge of us kind of bring us down this path. So we're, we're born and we don't know how to speak. We don't know how to walk. And so the only thing that we know how to do is cry because we want food. We want love. We want comfort. And somewhere along the way, those humans say, no, stop crying or, or stop doing this, or we get something gets squished or compressed inside of us at some point that tells us, oh, nope, I can't do that. I shouldn't do that because I'm not accepted. And so there's some hurt that is involved with the process of growing up as we experience that hurt. And the more that we experience and see other people get hurt, We try to shy away from that as much as possible. We don't want to be criticized. We don't want to be hurt. All of those things. And we keep our stories to ourselves as our own flawed measure of self-protection. Now, in all the times that you have helped somebody find their voice and they've gone out and shared their brand story, how many times do they get ridiculed or judged or in pain somehow for going out and telling their story? How often does that actually happen? Very, very rarely, (laughs) very, very, very rarely. I mean, it's, but the fear that they have before they come to me is in some cases just like petrifying for people. They feel like, oh my gosh, a couple of things are going to happen. Either people are going to make fun of me or I'm going to mess it up somehow, or worse, I'm going to get my courage up and do it. And nobody hears it. Nobody listens. I'm Facebook live. I'm on Instagram live. I'm on uh, Twitter. I'm I'm on these video live streaming platforms. And all I see is the eye with a big fat zero next to it. I'm speaking and nobody's hearing it. And if a tree is in a forest and it falls and nobody's there to hear it, does it make a sound? You know, <laughs> so a lot of fear involved. Yeah, we are scared of being insignificant, not mm-hmm. mattering. And if we go out and tell our story and participate in the whole brand storytelling world, it can be scary thinking that, well, nobody's going to want to listen to me. Mm -hmm. That's how this whole 100 and 100 happened. Because I put my podcast onto Podmatch and one other podcast guests Mm -hmm. thinking, oh, nobody's going to want to talk to me. Who in the world would want to talk to me anyway? But I'll put it on there just because 
I can get a backlink for my website. Right. Yeah. I got so many people booking because I left my calendar open. I didn't think I needed to make it a certain time because I thought, hey, nobody's going to want to talk to me. Next thing I know, I've got so many people. I'm like, well, I don't want these people to have to wait a year to get their podcast up. So I started doing one a day. I was like, well, if I'm going to do one a day, I'm going to milk it for all it's worth right. and r run a campaign around it. But it all came from a fear, not a fear, but a belief, perception that I'm so insignificant and I don't matter in the big picture that nobody's going to want to talk to me. And I was proved wrong. Love it. Love it. Yeah. It's, it's, I think a lot of us miss out on the fact that as human beings, we are really not that different mm -hmm. from other people. Right. We, we we are led to this misconception that the challenges, the hurt, the stuff that we've experienced, we're the only ones that are experiencing it. So therefore, the fear that we have, we're the only ones and everybody else's job is to criticize or make fun of us somehow. And the truth is, I mean, all of us have our stuff. All of us have our fears. All of us have our I'll use a big word idiosyncrasies. All of us have the stuff that we just walk through each day that requires courage. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that journey that you're on. Now, when you help people find their story in the process, you're helping them find their courage. What are some of the things that people are wanting to do by telling their story? Well, I think sometimes it's, it's a variety of things. So there are a lot of people that come to me that either are in corporate still or have just started a, a small business and, and they're looking in some ways for freedom and not freedom necessarily from the corporate world, but freedom from the life that they believed that they had to live, right? As most of us that were born in early 80s, 70s or 60s or whenever you were grown up, our parents told us at that time that you got to go to school, got to graduate from high school, got to go to college, got to get a job, got to get married and that's and then you'll have successful a successful life after that further than that the type of job mattered oh you know you can do some other stuff but if you can be a doctor lawyer teacher those are like acceptable things right <laughs> so a lot of us grew up got jobs and then said oh my gosh wait a minute this sucks. I don't want to do this for the rest of my life I don't want to this I don't even feel fulfilled why do I have to spend? The majority of my day, the majority of my waking day, doing something that I hate, I have to tolerate in order to get to the rest of my life where I, I'm already tired out from that stuff that I didn't like doing anyway. Yeah. We're just kind of at this space where we're seeking freedom and we're seeking to uh, embrace who we can be, the potential of our lives. And that's part of the reason why we have this whole thing, the great resignation right now. It's a, a lot of people are saying, wait a minute, oh my gosh. I mean, I can live life. I didn't have to be trapped. I can live differently. My gosh. So yeah, telling their stories is a big piece of that. That is interesting. Uh, I'm in Canada, just so you know. Mm. So the great resignation, I don't really hear too much about it up here, but we do yeah. hear about what's happening down in the States quite a bit. Yeah. Besides the fact that they are leaving because they're unhappy, but where are they going? A lot of people are going to either their own businesses. If they've got a, a something squirreled away, they're like, listen, I'm just going to travel. I don't I don't want to be under somebody else's roof right now. Or some of them are saying, wait a minute, you mean all this time I could have been working from home and doing things at my pace and the hour that I want to do them. 
And so a lot of people are saying this, yeah, I'm not going back. I don't want to be stuck in traffic anymore. I, I don't want to be there for all these hours and then have to deal with traffic again on the way home. I, I want to do it from home where my husband, my wife, my kids, my partner, my friend is just down the hall and I can do it at what pace and what time. I want more control in my life. So this whole idea of being stuck at home has actually produced more freedom. Yeah, well, it's produced freedom, not just from the corporate workspaces, but freedom of thought. People are now recognizing, oh my gosh, there's another way to do stuff. I had a friend, well, not had, he's still alive. Um, I have a friend, <laughs> I have a friend that said, uh, you know what? I used to get on a plane on a Tuesday afternoon. Well, I'm packing Tuesday morning. I get on a plane, I fly somewhere, I stay in a hotel. I wake up in the next morning. I go to a meeting for like two or three hours. I go back to my hotel and then I stay overnight and then I fly out the next morning. He's like, that's three days out of my week mm -hmm. for a three hour meeting. But that's one three hour meeting. All right. <laughs> and and then during the pandemic, you now realize, wait a minute, we can do this on Zoom and be done and be out. And you'll find that that three hour meeting now is two hours or 90 minutes. Whoa, I've got some time back in my life. I've got I've got some life back in my life. A lot of people are now seeing that new way or that new option where we thought there was this other way of hustling and grinding that had to be before. Well, you're completely right there because I knew people in networking meetings who were really resistant to the idea of Zoom before pandemic. They right. were like, no, that will never work. We can't talk about that. I would talk to people like mothers who had young children and about working because they were always, oh, I wish I could work from home. I said, well, why can't you? Because I had a job like J-O-B that enabled me to work from home. They're, oh no, I can't do that. I would, I'd be doing my laundry. I'd be doing my dishes. I like the fact that my work is separate from my house and that I have these right. two things. They had all of these reasons why they could not work from home. Yeah. Until they get there and they start realizing, well, do you know what? You do ignore the laundry. You do ignore the dishes. You do do the work. In fact, you work harder because you need to prove that you are able to do it from home yeah. because you're comfortable. Mm -hmm. Being comfortable in our space, being able to do the work, being able to be there for our kids. You know, when I was working for a company in inside sales and working from home, I was a single mom. And let me tell you, that saved my bacon. Yeah because I had nobody to call. I had no family in the area. It was just me. That was it. If my kids needed a ride, if my kids needed something, it was all on me. These positions where you can work from home are important. But then again, my kids were saying, well, mom, what's for dinner? I'd be like, well, what time is it? Well, it's nine o'clock. Because I was making up the work from the time I'd have to drive them. The drive may have taken me 30 minutes, but I worked three hours to compensate for that 30 minutes. Right. Do you think that once people are home working, that they're going to be able to establish a work-life balance? Well, see, that's just the thing. I'll use this word. I, I have an aversion to the term work-life balance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? I, yeah. Because we have been duped into thinking it's work and then there's everything else, right? We've, we've got to give our time and our devotion to this one thing simply because there's this exchange that is, is money related. And so what we've not realized is that there are other exchanges 
that are possible. We've ignored other exchanges and to the detriment of maybe our own sanity, our own mental health, our own wellness, right? There are a lot of other things that um, make us who we are. So as a, as a complete being, I'm a business owner. I am a father. I am a husband. I am, I, I am involved at my church. I'm, I'm a coach on one of my kids, you know, baseball teams. I'm, I'm all of these things. And so I'm not just work and everything else. Mm-hmm. That's not an effective dichotomy. That's not, that's not an effective separation. We, we are complete beings. We're complete human beings. So to answer your question, Shannon, I think part of what this is, is just that we're just settling in mm-hmm. to this new shift or this new paradigm. And we're still kind of figuring out, yeah, it's, we're going on two years. We're, we're entering the third at this point, but we're still kind of figuring out how to live in a space and, and what we, what we were used to didn't just take three years to build. It's, it's been decades since the industrial revolution in, in the, in the twenties or whatever. And then 1800s actually, right. We are in this work paradigm or the way that we operate now has been in existence for a very long time. And so, yeah, it's going to take us a little bit to figure out from what, what this work from home or what this hybrid workspace looks like and how we then fit that in or how we create a space for that without sacrificing the rest of our lives. You know, we keep saying it'll be interesting to see which companies go back to work and which companies have a hybrid and which companies continue to be remote. I'm actually in Whistler right now visiting my brother and he was saying, well, everyone at the local hydro utility is going back to the office in April. Yeah. So that's, if the big guys go back, will the little guys go back or the little guys decide that it was just cheaper and better to be remote? Well, I mean, a lot of it will depend on the company and on the leadership and on the type of work. The company, the leadership, the economy, I think there's some things, I mean, there's companies that I know are pushing people to get back to the office simply because they've got a lease on this big office building and they've got to justify it. Yeah not because they were making or many more or less money or it was less efficient. It was just like, oh, we're spending this money. We got to justify it. You go come back on in here, right? (laughs) So it's going to take some time for some of this to be figured out. And as people recognize their own possibility, their own potential, and as they take control of their own stories, even more companies will be forced to then say, oh my gosh, okay, we, we've got to shift how this thing works or how we operate maybe forever. Mm-hmm. You've made a lot of great points there. You know, there is also people who just do prefer the office. Mm-hmm. They prefer that socialization, especially if they're like me and single and on their own and by themselves 24 seven. Yep. You know, that was their, their lifeline to people. Yeah. But having choices maybe the difference that we're going to be having. You know, as much as I said, people work from home, they ignore the laundry and that stuff. There are those who just weren't able to motivate themselves to do the work. Right. When, when I was in outside sales, we would have morning meetings and people would joke, well, all they are is bed checks. Make sure you got out of bed and we'll <laughs> <have to> work. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. most of us didn't need that because sales people are usually self-motivated, but some... Yeah, they needed something. There'll always be different ways of doing things. 
you get an understanding of who you are and what you need. I remember my wife used to laugh at me sometimes because at our former house, my office was in the basement and I kind of developed this routine and she thought it was ridiculous. <laughs> I would get up and I would get dressed. I would walk outside and I would walk around to the basement door and enter the office that way because it signaled to me a start of my work day. Yes. I literally changed clothes and I, I got out of my home attire. I got out of that space and I got into that that zone of, of work. And she she she'd look at her, she'd look at me going out the door with my backpack or my bag or my laptop in my hand and she'd just shake her head like this dude, what what's what's wrong with you? And I'm like, no, it's that's the thing mentally, mindset wise, that allows me to shift into this space. Yeah. And it creates that separation for me shift gears back to the whole idea of storytelling yep. because storytelling is so important and you were mentioning that you sometimes get calls from people in the corporate world mm -hmm. can you share with the listeners why somebody who has a job who works in the corporate world may need to be able to tell their story better yeah well they don't call me to say hey robert i need to tell my story better what happens is especially if they're a leader in an organization they say you know what I feel like I'm struggling with presenting ideas or I feel like I'm speaking on this meeting and when we're done with it, it's not clear and nobody's doing anything. I feel like we're having the same meeting over and over and over again. Or they may say to me, hey, Robert, I feel like I'm sharing some information, but I still feel distant mm -hmm. from everybody. So I say, aha, yeah, I, I have a sense of what the issue is here, <laughs> right? And so we start with a couple of things. With, with leaders, one of the most important things for them is to be able to establish trust. Mm -hmm. How do you do that? Well, you do that, one of the easiest ways to do that is by digging into your courage and showing some level of vulnerability. And when you show some vulnerability, you do that through your story, through your experiences. We're all this great thing called human beings. And we all have this experience on earth here, right? And so we think that we are the only ones that experience it. But if you share, you're like, listen, I I'm gonna use your career here. You're like, listen, when I started in sales, I was told that if I make 100 calls per day, somebody watched The Wolf of Wall Street, uh, right? I, I, if I make 100 calls per day, I'm going to get a lot of no's, but I'm probably going to get about 10 yeses. And I started and I did that. And my first two weeks, I made 100 calls per day. And guess how many yeses I got? Zero. I got no yeses. And my first two weeks were terrible and I felt like a failure. Is there going to be somebody in the building, in the office, in the in the organization that may have had that experience that feels that way? Yeah, they're going to raise their hand. They may not do it physically, but they'll raise it mentally and internally. And they're like, oh, my gosh, I was totally feeling like I was wasting my time. I was doing something wrong. I'm a terrible person. I'm a terrible salesperson because I was not able to get 10 per day. I wasn't able to get 10 yeses. Right. So the leader shares that and they're like, OK, let me try it one more time. Let me try it one more day. And that is a big piece of what really great mentors in the sales industry do. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, great salespeople stay salespeople and aren't people managers, but right. they do step up and mentor other people yep. and help them yep. in order to get there. I was really great at selling the appointment. Yeah. 
because I understood the customer journey and I understood that we're at this step. I'm not going to jump up to this step over here. I'm at this step. And this is what we're going yeah. to be talking about. When you are helping leaders, especially share their stories, because leaders, they don't feel they can sometimes because they've got right. to be the best, strongest. They have to have all of the answers. Can you share maybe like a generic, don't gossip on anyone, but <laughs> some actual results that leaders can identify with it. Oh, if I do tell my story, if I can get there, if I can find the courage to do this, this is the possibility. This is what could happen. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think one of the things I, I was working with a, a company and they we were going through this this process of storytelling and the leader wasn't in the room mm -hmm. at the time. And I was getting all of this feedback. Some of it was direct and some of it was kind of like implicit. Hey, Robert, we're whispering to you, but we're not saying his name. But you know who we're talking about. Right. I was getting some of that. And so I had this conversation with the leader, really nice guy but they viewed him as distant mm -hmm. from them. You know, he kind of came and went, came through the locker, not the locker room. He came through the cafeteria area, grabbed, grabbed chips, grabbed an apple, grabbed stuff and said, Hey guys. And then he kind of went, walked off to, to the office. And so I sat with him and I said, listen, here's some of the stuff that I'm, I'm hearing. Not that your people are complaining about you, but I'm digging in and I'm extrapolating some of this information from their responses. And what would you think about trying to sit with them and, and then share a couple of your stories of when you started the company and, and why you started it? And he said, okay, yeah, let's do it. So kind of coached them through that. And so we were there for, we were there for about a, a week, maybe about six sessions or so. And I had this conversation with him maybe after session two. And so we, we coached him through that. And then he's, he came into one of the sessions and shared the story. And as he's sharing the story about what was what happened when he started this company and what it was like in the early days, I could see literally the faces of some of the people in the room begin to change. And it got to one point where he started to tell a story or tell a piece of when something was going wrong with the company and 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 how we had to really dig deep to make it go and i and he slowed down and i could hear i could see him beginning to choke up a little bit mm -hmm. right and as he began to do that you could see you could see all eyes were on him and so he finishes and one person says i was gonna i was gonna say his name just now but i'm not saying um one person says I'll, I'll, I'll call him Jim or actually I'll call, I'll call him Bob. I'll use, I'll use my name. Right. Um, they said, Bob, why didn't you share that with us before? I think hearing that really gives me, I feel connected to you and to the company. Yes. I feel like the, everything that we do is not because you simply told us, but because you believe it, you, you lived it and, and, and you love it. And I'm I'm gonna remember I'm gonna remember this tomorrow morning. I'm gonna remember this every day that I come in. And I just wanted to say thank you for sharing that with us. Sharing your vision as a story. Yeah. Sharing the times that it almost didn't come 
materialize, sharing how it made you feel and the work that you put into it does exactly what you said. It helps the people that are part of the story now connect with the past and become and want to become a part of the future of the story. And I love you. You used the word brand story at the beginning of this as well. And that's the part of I teach part of that. I also refer to it as a as a, as a strategic story yes. because it's it's an asset that you use to share with people how or, or to connect people to the actual problem yes. that you solve and why that problem or why solving that problem is is valuable or or passionate, something that you're passionate about. Um, and so I also share with people, not just that there is a, is about telling stories because some leaders feel like, eh, I'm not a good storyteller or storytelling is squishy. It's, it's like touchy feely. And I don't really want to bring that into the art, into our, con- into our organization. I'm left brained. I'm, I'm organizational. I, I don't really get into that creative type of stuff. And so what I, one of the things I share as well is that storytelling is not just about once upon a time. Mm-hmm. It's also about the framework of of storytelling. And if your understanding of the framework of storytelling, then influencing and moving people to action can take place because of that framework. If you're able to utilize the the context, the character, the conflict, and really help people to understand the cause, Mm -hmm. right? And then now you can use what I call the catalyst after that to move people into the detail of the conclusion and then creating a call to action based on all of that, then you're able to take people on this journey, allow them to understand why the journey is important, share with them the value and the benefit from adopting a solution, and then the details of how you're going to adopt that solution, and then bring them back to an action. They can say, ah, okay, I, 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 I see how that works, or I see how that fits together, and I see why that's important. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I love how you talked about the strategy or not just the strategy, but the structure of story, Mm -hmm. because even if you're left brain and you're talking about the numbers, the numbers tell a story. What is that story that the numbers are telling and how you communicate those numbers to other people utilizing allegory and similes and uh, those other great storytelling things that I can't think of at the moment. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oxymoron of all, of all things. Yeah. By utilizing those, those tools in storytelling, you're able to help your audience or your employees or your investors, shareholders, board, whatever, understand mm-hmm. what you're trying to communicate. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be about your story. It can be about the story of the numbers. It's just yeah. how to understand how to communicate that. I Like today, I was in a meeting and I have to write a press release for this company. And I'm going through the what he had told me and I found the key to why this story is interesting buried beneath a bunch of uninformative, don't really matter, not really important yep. stuff. Yep. Yep. Because that happens all the time and that's why your audiences get that's why they lose <laughs> they don't know what they're listening to they're like okay this right. is boring and then you finally you say something interesting but they're already thinking about what they're supposed to be doing or what they're gonna have for lunch yep yep 
Yeah. So how much of your time is spent helping people be better presenters? Uh, I would say it's probably 40 to 50% of my time. Um, and they may not always come to me about being better presenters. They may just, because they may think they are already. And in fact, there's quite a few that people think, oh, there's nothing wrong with the way that I present. Um, but when I walk them through the structure or the principles of storytelling, now they're kind of like, oh my gosh, now I got to think differently. And I'm saying, okay, well, it's not so much that you've got to think that differently because we're used to telling stories. Humans have been telling stories for thousands of years, right? It's about recapturing and getting back to the thing that we do naturally, which we've somehow squished because we're in this corporate environment. And then, you know, I, I give some some quick examples. And here's a, a story that I use sometimes. I'm, I'm like, I was sitting in my living room and I lived in the state of Massachusetts. I'm sitting in my living room and uh, the doorbell rings. I go to the window and there's this guy out in my driveway and he's got this display board. It's big, it's long, it's kind of on the floor. And so I open the door and he says, hi, my name's Mark. I've been walking around the neighborhood and I'm selling carpet. We've got all sorts of carpet. I've got Berber, I've got High Pile, I've got Austin Power Shag, I've got all these different types of carpet. And he's got these little squares, these little swatches on the display board. He's like, go ahead and touch it and feel it. So I touch it and I feel it. And I'm there with him for about two or three minutes. And after he goes through his spiel, I open my door to my house and I show him that my entire house is hardwood. <laughs> right? So he, he, I show him and he says, oh, so you don't really need carpet. Okay, thanks. And he, and he kind of leaves. How could he have approached this differently? Because he did what a lot of us do in corporate settings. We approach people with the solution immediately. We're like XYZ widget, we're gonna be selling this. What could he have done differently? What if he came to my door and he said, Hi, my name's Mark. Listen, I was at your neighbor Judy's house and she was telling me about her oil. And she's like, the oil bill in this neighborhood is ridiculous. Are you having trouble with your oil or your, how do you feel about your oil bill? I would have been like, man, the oil is ridiculous. It's terrible. Now we're having a conversation, mm -hmm. right? Now we're having a conversation and he could say, well, she was telling me like over the last year, your, your bills have risen probably like 30%. I'm like, yeah, 30 percent that's ridiculous. What do they think we are? I mean, I'm not, you know, Bill Gates. I'm not Richard Branson. I'm not any of these guys. 30% of my oil bill. Now we're having an emotional conversation. Right. Now we're making an emotional connection. And then he could say, well, what would you think if I were able to share with you a way to decrease your oil bills by 30%? Yeah, I, I want to hear that conversation. I want to hear that. And then he could now say, well, you know what? I noticed that when you open your door that you have hardwood most of the times people that have hardwood don't use carpet but here's what i've learned having area rugs or having carpet in certain rooms or certain areas of your house can severely impact the heating bill in your house would you want to hear a little bit more about that yes tell me more let's walk into the house and sit down and let's talk about how to get this doggone oil bill down further you extend it even further he's coming in and telling you about the carpet but if he was really helpful he would tell you about how the carpets do it and yep. how you can help with your yep. windows things and then give yeah. you that card of the person that can help you with that problem so now he's becoming a resource exactly yeah yeah now he's a he's a curator of heat go downer information <laughs> heat bill go downer information right that's and i walk through that process with people and they're like oh okay 
yeah, I, I see where it is. And they're like, you know, the challenge with that is sometimes it's a little longer for us to think about the different stories. I'm like, it really doesn't take that long. It's, it's how we are. It's how we, we, we speak about the context. We speak, speak about the challenge or the problem. And then we lead people to that. We just want to stay away from leading with the solution. That should be the last piece mm -hmm. of the discovery. So mm -hmm. the second example is very much about discovery and taking the time yep. to be in that position of the customer's journey and not talking about this part of the customer's journey, but where the customer is right now. The customer is yep. just being introduced to the fact that he has a, a problem yep. that he can actually do something about. Yep. Your bill goes up and goes up and you're like, oh, I, I don't know what to do. And yep. you're overwhelmed and there's just, you just don't even look at the problem. You just pay the bill and get frustrated and continue to pay the bill. That's what we did. I know that for a fact, from personal experience. <laughs> but if someone showed up and said, hey, you know what? That bill that you that you had to pay, I know how to get mm -hmm. rid of it. You're all yep. of a sudden per perking up like, what? Yep. I'm in Whistler right now. And on the way up here, the traffic is coming towards us, going back down to Vancouver. And I noticed an increase in Teslas. Mm. Okay. Which is interesting because that is solving a problem of gas prices right in vancouver it also solves a problem of prestige and the feeling of being the good eco consumer um, yeah because everyone wants to be that good eco consumer so there's other things that your product products and services can solve besides the one thing right but if you figure out what that one thing is that talks to most people and you talk about that over and over again on your social media in the brand awareness cycle you'll start feeling that funnel and as you fill that funnel and you get into the brand interest and the brand credibility and the, now you're in the decision making phase yeah you got the brand story and you're guiding people through that utilizing story why did you focus on story as being one of the tools that you take to people to help them as i walked through the journey of building, rebuilding, and morphing my own company. I think one of the questions that I kept getting was, hey, are you a speaker? Are you a speaker? Are you speaking? And for a while I wasn't, and I didn't even think about it as a way to generate income. Mm -hmm. Then about 2014, I joined Toastmasters and I said, you know, I want to learn a little bit more about this whole speaking thing. And as I went down this journey in Toastmasters, and then I joined the National Speakers Association, I learned more about speaking and I learned a lot more about the business of speaking. And I really began to focus in on communication and how to communicate. But if I go back to my company prior to that, when I was training on online courses, I was building courses for, for companies, but then they started to ask me, hey, can you teach us how to build this? And as I'm starting to break this down, one of the things that I always shared with them to do, hey, people don't learn just on the information that you share with them. Maybe you can share with them like a brand scenario because you want to bring them from an experience. What about allowing people to make some choices and decisions along the way? As I'm teaching these, as I'm, as I'm breaking these things apart, I'm ultimately realizing that, wait a minute, this is story. This is a journey. It's just telling people not just to chuck information at them, but how do you create that human connection first? How do you create that emotional piece of this 
things first because I don't care if you're left brain, right brain, top brain, bottom brain, diagonal brain, whatever brain you are. Ultimately, all things being considered, things being even, people make decisions based on emotion, mm -hmm. right? If I go to a car dealership and the dealer says to me, hey, um, there's these two cars. Both of them have identical engines. Both of them have identical luxury packages. Both of them have the exact rims, et cetera. Uh, the only difference between them is that one is blue and one is yellow. What am I making the decision based on? I'm making decision based on, do I like blue? How do I feel about blue? Or how do I feel about yellow? In order to get people to move, in order to get people to take actions, emotion and connection is a big piece of that. And that comes from story. So influence, persuasion, all of it comes back to story. We are definitely talking about story more and more often in the basis of business. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember when storytelling in sales was a new idea. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, I feel old. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're talking about storytelling in marketing and storytelling in leadership and storytelling in just getting a job, in the job interview, in the process of influencing others, but Let's say, hey, I want to move up in the company or I want to be the go-to person in the company for this thing that I really love doing. So you start talking about that story a bit more. You start talking about that one thing that you love doing and the solution that you came to and how you've solved it for that client and how you solved it for that client. And if you talk about it enough, mm -hmm. people start calling you when they have that problem within the Absolutely. company. You get known for being that. And next thing you know, you're happier at work because you're doing yeah. something you are passionate about and you love to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. Yep. It's all about the story in a lot of ways. How else do you help people? We we're talking about the corporate, but, mm -hmm. but you said that you also help people who are in business. Yeah. So uh, there are two sides of our company. We've got the, the, the corporate side, the B2B side, kinetic communications. And then we have another side, which is uh, Storytellers Growth Lab, where we help small business owners, especially in the online space. We help them with sharing their stories on stage and on video so they can attract their ideal audience, generate more income. And we do that through courses, through coaching programs, through challenges that we run through summits, etc. And so um, we've been doing that for the last three or four years. And we've got a community called the Storytellers Growth Lab online and um, people can look that up. You can go to storytellersgrowthlab.com and connect with us there. Because you help speakers and you help people and you are a speaker. Before COVID, we had a lot of conferences and events in the real world with real people. Where do you see the future of events and the speakers? Are you going to be doing more virtual or is it going to be back to the real world or what about this thing called the metaverse? <laughs> Listen, I'm still learning about the metaverse in that way. Because I am a speaker, because I'm a part of the National Speakers Association, I see some of the wild swings. March of 2020, within three or four days, I, I saw about $20,000 worth of gigs canceled. <laughs> and then I started to get calls from schools, school communities. I mean, I had done some different things, but, and then organizations ultimately, how do we deliver this stuff? How do we train our people? Because we still got to work. How do we do this virtually? And in a way that's not 
boring. So I started to train on how to create dynamic virtual experiences instead of just another boring Zoom meeting. I began to do that. A lot of other speakers began to do virtual meetings and began to do virtual keynotes and workshops and began to get used to that. And then as things began to open back up a bit, I saw some speakers saying, yay, we're going back to normal. Yay, we're going back to the real world. I'm on a real stage again. And the truth is, here's what's happening and here's what may never change. Some organizations that used to pay X amount of dollars said, wait a minute, you mean we don't have to fly them in? You mean we don't have to take care of the hotel? You mean we don't have to spend three days as opposed to one to do this thing? Would you be open to doing this? And there's some speakers that are like, no, I was waiting for the world to open back up. I want to fly. And then there's some speakers that are like, nah, dude, I like this. I'll, I'll gladly take that virtual gig. It's forever changed. And then in some cases, there's the hybrid thing, right? Tony Robbins did this thing where he had this big virtual a bunch of screens, this great virtual conference. And then that started to be replicated. Yeah, there's in person, but there's also people who are saying, wait a minute, do you have a hybrid option for your conference? I don't want to travel. Mm -hmm. I don't want to go to a hotel. My kids are still in baseball season. I want to be able to go to the conference and I want to take them to their games. That's going to be forever. I do see a great value in doing that, mm -hmm. but here's the problem. Yep. And this happens a lot with speakers that just come and leave right away too. This is this, it's the same problem. If you just come, yeah. say your speech and leave, or if you come and you do the virtual and you leave, you're not building those connections with the audience afterwards. Yeah. And you're not building those relationships, which will then expand your reach and get you know more and, and bring you future opportunities. There is a risk at the same time that people have to be aware of. However, if yeah. there were people that just kind of came in, did their thing, left, answered maybe one or two questions, but didn't really get involved in the conference at all because they were, I'm too busy for that or I'm too important for that or I got to be over yeah. here for that. You have to be involved yeah. in the community as well if you're going to continue to build out this thing. I have a client who is going to be going back into the speaker circuit world mm -hmm. after having a great career as a CEO for a international insurance company. Right. And we're kind of deciding, okay, how are we going to do this? Because one, retirement is great. We want you to have that. But two, we weren't sure what was going to happen yet. And we don't want to put on all this effort and then have everything closed down again. Yeah. But we were coming up with different ideas. So we've been knocking around a lot of different ideas. Yeah. In order to launch this next version of his career. Which do you prefer? What, virtual or in person? Yeah. I prefer being home. I prefer being virtual, but I also do, I love to travel as well. I also love to be at, at, at hotels. I think I like the virtual simply because of the, the ease of setup mm -hmm. for me. I feel like I'm here, I'm in control of my environment. I'll give an example. So the other day I went to speak at an event and the event was advertised uh, having several thousand people. I fly down and I got, I go into the room and the room that I'm speaking in seats about 3000 people or so. And then I've got to work with the, the AV people. I've got to do different things with them. I got to set up my computer. I have to set up an extra camera. I've got to set up some extra things. 
for them. And when I get on stage, now I'm thinking about all these things because they are having to do things and I've got to coordinate with them and they didn't give me enough time because of the way that their conference was set up. If I were home, if I were in my environment, it wouldn't have been a problem. Right. Share my screen or do do the things in the way that I do them here, right? And it would have been in my mind so much better and so much easier for me to do that. And maybe some of that is because of my particular content, because some of my content is technical and requires software from time to time. You know, if I were simply a storytelling motivational speaker or an inspirational speaker, I might think or feel differently. The energy level required is is a little bit different. Um, but in my particular circumstance, if I get the choice, be here versus, you know, having to fly to like Oklahoma or something. Or, I'm, I'm, I'm you go, know, I'm Winnipeg. <laughs> Winnipeg, yes, Saskatchewan somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in right? January. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or where my uncle lives, Fort McMurray, Alberta. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Have you been um, to Fort Mac? I have not. Robert, where can people find you if they want to learn more about what it is you do and how you can help them tell their stories? Yeah, uh, you can find me. I try to keep it easy. I'm Robert Kennedy three on all social platforms and you can go to my website, robertkennedy3.com and you can find me there. And like I said, if you're a small business owner and you want a little bit of help with your storytelling, especially as it comes to video, then just go to storytellersgrowthlab.com and you can join me there. That's great because yes, knowing how to tell your story, would you help to define their story? Do you help them? Do you help by drawing it out of them and rewriting it for them? I don't rewrite it for them. I help them by drawing it out. So I think there there are two pieces that I really help people with in the journey. They typically, especially if they're a small business owner, come to me because they want to be able to do it online. They want to be able to do it through video, and I'm I say, yep, here are the, here are the technologies that you can utilize to make this happen. But also here are the techniques that you can use to make this happen. And in order to do all of that, you've got to understand what your strategic story is. You've got to understand what your signature story is before you can then deliver it in a way that connects with people and helps them solve the problem. Couldn't agree more. Listener, I hope you learned something to help you move forward and clarify your message to connect with others. No matter where you live, what you do, or which industry you are in, story helps others to understand what you are communicating. When we use allegories, similes, metaphors, it gives people a different perspective to help them understand how all those pieces come together. I've seen so many light bulbs go off in audiences' heads when I use these storytelling tools to explain complex and intangible concepts? I know it works. So take a moment to think about the different stories you can come up with to teach someone a complex idea or task. I want to thank you for listening today and being a part of the Market Appeal story. If you enjoyed the episode or brand appeal in general, please take a moment to review the podcast on your favorite podcast player. If you have suggestions to help me make the experience better, drop into the community at marketappeal.com and let me know how I can improve either the, by leaving a comment either in the community or in the forum. Thank you again. Peel out.